From Boca Raton, Florida, this is Behind the Bima. On this episode, the rabbis are joined by Dr. Leah Golden, the mother of Hadar Golden, who was killed by Hamas in 2014. Dr. Golden shares inspiring details about Hadar's life and discusses her fight to bring his body home. Also, what books the rabbi would write? And which rabbi participated tonight during a high school graduation? All this and more, Behind the Bima. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is 9 p.m. Wednesday night. I'm your host, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, joined by my colleagues and dear friends, Rabbi Philip Moskowitz, who's at his desk like a grown-up and a big boy, and Rabbi Josh Brody, who looks like he is in a cave. And it must be... Behind the Bima. Rabbi Brody, you look like you're actually behind a Bima. Where, where are you right now? Well, I was just in a closet, but you guys told me it was noise. Listen, the last time my daughter graduated and I had an excuse... You know, I missed the graduation. I was in Israel. This time I didn't miss it, but I just stepped out for a minute. <laughs> so you are in the middle of your daughter's high school graduation right now. Um, there's a light here. Um, it's actually, <laughs> no, they did her part already, so I didn't miss anything. They're speaking about each student. They've already given out the diplomas. I haven't missed anything about her. But graduation's still going on right now. You just stepped out. You found a closet, <laughs> and you're hiding in it. Well, I was in a closet. You said it made too much noise. I ran to the car. Oh, you're in the car now. I'm in the car. Okay. Rabbi Brody, you received the Unity Prize. I think now you deserve the Father of the Year Prize. <laughs> I'm like the Bima, the behind the Bima of the Award Prize right now. <laughs> behind the Bima Prize. Really, really outstanding. I want to begin. Uh, let's begin by acknowledging and thanking our sponsor for Behind the Bima tonight. Generally sponsored in honor and appreciation of Rabbi Tzvi and Efrat Sabalovsky. We'll speak more about them in a moment and Congregation or HaTorah's building campaign. Uh, tonight's episode is sponsored by the Zwelling Law with offices in Boca Raton and Chicago. Big mazel tov to our dear friend Avi Zwelling on opening his new office in Chicago. Avi mazel is a great legal counsel. He's a great member of our community. He has worked tirelessly. He and his family, you know his uh, wife, his family for a very long time. And the Zwellings are great leaders in our community, selfless, and uh, he's a great lawyer. If you need a wartime consigliere, Avi Zwelling, excellent. So uh, we, we get sponsored a lot by lawyers, I noticed. I don't know what that says, but we love we love all these lawyers. So big mazel tov, Avi, on the Boca Raton office. Big mazel tov on the Chicago office. And tonight is sponsored in honor of uh, our Rebbe, Rebbe Sabalovsky, and uh, Rebetzin Sabalovsky, and Congregation Or HaTorah, their shul, which is embarking on a building campaign. So everyone see I'm posting the uh, website, but if you visit charity.orhatorah.com, 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 they're doing a matching campaign. Rabbi Sabalovsky, our Rebbe, an extraordinary, ex- enormous Tamil Chacham, a great, modest, unav, uh, Rebetzin Sabalovsky has been at the forefront of working on Shiduchim, Why You Connects, and so much more. And uh, the Sabalovskis mean so much to us and to the Jewish world. And their shul is undergoing this campaign. And everyone can and should be part of it. Take a moment. We'll post the uh, website again. Take a moment. Go on there. Just do something. You're building Torah. When you do that, you're building Torah. Every moment you could save Rabbi Sabalovsky from having to raise money so he can get back to knowing Kola Torah Kula and teaching Shirim. If you've never heard Rabbi Sabalovsky Shirim, go on YU Torah and uh, you, you, know, you, you won't believe the clarity, the scope, uh, the depth, the penetrating analysis. Rabbi Sabalovsky is the best. A little, little um, behind the Bima trivia Rabbi Sabalovsky was my camp counselor. Wow. When I was wow. a kid. Morasha Kolel in the. 1990s, early 90s. Mm. Morisha Kolo, early 90s. Elementary you from, school. You want, you want to know who my camp counselors were? Morisha Kolo, early 90s. 
my camp counselors were Rabbi Sabolovsky and Rabbi Baruch Simon. Wow. Really? Yeah. That's who I gave a hard time to when they had to wake us up in the morning. And that's who I need to apologize a lot still to. But anyway. Rabbi Huda Balsam from DRS. He was my camp counselor, my first camp counselor. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you've um, never heard of any of my camp counselors. Let's just say we are uh, <laughs> we're very come. blessed. I love our our, our Torah world is very blessed to have Rebbeim like Rabbi Simon, but Rabbi Sabolovsky, his shul or or HaTorah, their building campaign where he can continue to shine the light of Torah. Do your part. Mazel Tov to Avi on the Boca. There's a great Gabai there, from what I hear, also. So everyone should support the Gabai there a, as well. A Moskowitz Gabai. Moskowitz Gabai. Now, Rabbi Moskowitz, at what age did you realize your brother was destined to be a Gabai? Well, my brother was always quite precocious when it came to laning, leading, davening for the Amud. Um, so it was very early on. In fact, part of the reason why I haven't leaned since my bar mitzvah was because whenever he and I would go somewhere, so he had hate speaking, like literally hate speaking. So he would always take the laning and that left speaking for me because I wouldn't lane. He would always do the laning. So I got stuck with the speaking. So I became the speaker and he became the gabai and it kind of worked out well. But uh, always looked up to my brother, always been uh, a role model for me in many ways. Now, would you say you and your brother are similar or different? There's like white, black. There's like hot, cold. There's apples and oranges. That's me and my brother. I love him. Very close with him. I have a special relationship with him. But he and I are very, very different, different personalities, which is great because he is so talented and so exceptional in so many ways. But it wasn't threatening for me growing up because we were always so different. And it was so clear to everybody that our talents were different and our abilities were different. How about you and your brother? You and your brother's no slouch either, by the way. No, this is the brother episode, apparently. Your brother is a machine, Rabbi Moskowitz. He is like discipline, king of discipline machine. He puts us all to shame, but he is uh, very inspiring. And my brother too. Also, I have a a younger brother and uh, different in many ways, similar in some. Uh, but different in many ways. Like he's a super genius, and I'm not. That's the theme, by the way. The, that, the super say, genius brothers went to other things, and and you yeah, and I went. To I would rabbit. say that is. I would say that is the biggest difference. But you know, we could talk more about that another time. Rabbi Brody, how is graduation going so far? Well, graduation is great, but wouldn't it be great in the uh, new Rabbi Sobolevsky shul if there was a, you know, on the donor plaque wall it said "Friends of Friends of Behind the Bema." <laughs> That's right. Like I like that. So if you're, new Aaron Kodesh or something. That's a great point. So if you're taking a moment, you're going charity with a D, C-H-A-R-I-D-Y, charity.orhatorah.com. If you're going on, don't forget to mention you heard it on Behind the Bima. We have a very serious episode tonight. We are going to welcome on momentarily Dr. Leah Golden, who is the mother of Hadar Golden, Allah HaShalom, Hashem Yikom Damo, who was so unjustly, immorally uh, murdered and then taken captive by Hamas, a wicked terrorist organization. And they did so during a ceasefire. It's just, it's heinous, it's egregious, it's unforgivable that a ceasefire that was brokered by the UN, pressured by the US and by the EU, and during that ceasefire, Israel ceased and Hamas kept firing. And they fired on Hadar Golden and Oron. They killed them both. They took their bodies captive in one of the terror tunnels. And that was nearly seven years ago. And for seven years, the Golden family has been fighting advocating, lobbying, not for something they don't deserve. I mean, we're talking about a basic, basic humanitarian 
a basic moral responsibility, uh, a basic part of international law. So we'll talk to her more about it. We've gotten to know the Goldens. They've been to our community and uh, their their other son, Sur, who, you know, we'll ask her, but it's a crazy story how Tsur was involved in recovering bodies and almost went to go find his own brother, has been to our community, Tsur has been to our community. So we wish we knew the Goldens through something else. We've come to know them and they, they really are, are great people and your heart has to go out and every one of us has to do whatever we can to help them. So we'll, we'll bring her on soon, but we'll take a couple moments beforehand. It's a very serious topic, a serious guest, maybe it's something a little bit lighter. And we'd love to hear from you. We know there are people watching, there are people listening. Join us in the comments. Tell us uh, what you want to hear. Ask your questions. Give us feedback. We'd love to know the audience is out there. So today we had our first of two planning days. Um, we didn't really get to do it last year. Last year we did it in a much more modified Corona outdoor masked uh, way. It was really kind of a, a counterfeit version of what we ordinarily do. But we, the senior staff, and today, for parts of today, the entire staff of BRS, we get together off-site. We have an undisclosed location. We can't tell you where it is. Uh, <laughs> off-site, undisclosed location. Uh, we, we have a box. Everyone puts their phone, laptops in that box. We are disconnected, and uh, we are connected to one another. And we spend time analyzing, reflecting the previous year, thinking about planning for the year ahead, trying to study the different dem demographics, have a vision, have a plan, creativity, um, team building. And uh, today we welcome two new members of our team who we're, we will introduce on Behind the Beam at some point. Very excited to welcome two new members of the BRS staff. I don't want to uh, tell you now because we are going to have them on. But one of the things, because we welcome those two new members, is we did some icebreakers to get to know one another better, build our morale, our sense of uh, teamwork, and also to meet those two new people. So I want to... Bring to our audience, our listeners, uh, posing to you some of the icebreaker questions that we asked. We asked several um, at different times in t today's meeting with different people who had joined us for different parts of the meeting. But one of the questions we asked was, um, if you could write any book, what would you write about? If you have a book inside you, if you're going to author a book, what will that book be about? So Rabbi Brody, you told us it would be an audio book, but if you were going to yeah. record a book, what would that book be about <laughs> and why? I think I started writing it this morning. Uh, it's very clear. I mean, I think there's unfortunately a lot of people that uh, that find it very easy to 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 find differences and and make make bigger issues of things that don't really need to be such big issues. Um, everyone needs to just kind of well, you know let let it go a little bit and and start to realize it's not so much more that uh, really divides us as much as unites us. And we can do it. We can really change the world if everyone kind of just. You know, doesn't doesn't have such big big hangups about some of these these issues, which at the end of the day probably are are are, are a little bit more trivial than people people even uh, you know uh, talk about. So. Do you have a title for this book? Um, what did I say today? I, I I started saying I used a word. I forgot what the word was. I think it was chill out. Yeah, just chill out. Chill Everyone's got to just chill out. Everyone's just re no relax. That was it. Just relax. relax. Everyone just needs to relax a little bit. Relax okay. by, by Rabbi Josh Brody. Yeah, relax. You're, you got an issue with something, which I'm sure you do. Just relax. <laughs> are there people who are too relaxed that they need to, to unrelax a little bit? Yeah, like perhaps. Get fired up a little bit? Care. Yeah, I'll fire them up about something. But you know what? The things that really uh, divide us and the things that are, 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 are really tearing us apart right now, both religiously and politically, there's no reason for it. There really is no reason for it. It's it's something which can I believe can be fixed, and it can be fixed a lot easier than most people need the uh, yeah, are actually thinking about so. So you cool. heard it here first. Do we have a date yeah. for the release? Are you gonna Are you the gonna right now take upon yourself? 
You know, I would love to make that announcement. But I'll tell so you once you're doing an audio book, you just got to record yourself a little bit. Every time you're walking somewhere, just record well, another chapter. I the first page right now, so that, you know, that's the <laughs> opening. But I would love to. If someone wants to help me write this book, if you believe in the concept, please call me. And we'll, we'll who, would you, who would you call to write approbations in the back of the book? Who would you want that little you know, jacket quote from or, or the beginning of the book, the Haskamas? Give us a little insight into that... Rabbi Josh Brody by knowing who you would, who you would call. I would have, um, there would be Rabbi Frand and probably Howard Stern. Those are my two people that would probably... <laughs> That's my. That would be. That would be. The, I'm not even going to comment on that. But that would be the only <laughs> book in all. Of I was going to say that has the approbations from those two people. Those are the only yeah. two that I would take. I, I want to say behind the bema does not condone or support right. whatever was just. Endorse the opinions is, of those members. Yeah, of that our is the opinion channel. only of Rabbi Brody. Rabbi Moskowitz, tell us about your book. What book is in your head? What is that book that is yet to be written, but that you, you know, it's churning in your kishkas, and please God, it's gonna you're gonna produce it at some point for the world. My book would be about adversity, overcoming adversity, models, paradigms, people throughout history that have successfully overcome adversity, those who have not successfully overcome adversity. Um, I think to explore it through obviously uh, Judea, you know, how Judaism explores that issue, um, characters in Tanakh and how they faced their own adversity, whether it was Esther, whether it was David HaMelech, there were numerous, numerous people throughout Tanakh that not only encountered adversity, but actually grew as a result of that. Um, and then I would want to look throughout history as well. Any student of history knows that some of the greatest, most successful individuals in history faced um, really adverse traumatic events in their lives and were able to overcome it and emerge even stronger. So I've long been enamored by that topic. I would love to explore it both from a history perspective, a Jewish history perspective, um, a Jewish textual perspective, and, and really write a motivational what would be, book. Let me, let, me, let me push you here. We didn't talk about this earlier, push. but... It's not a push. It's it's first of all encouragement. I want to say Rabbi Moskowitz has become a prolific author and for a long time did not want to produce writing, but uh, now every week publishes a fantastic article that's not just lip service or platitude, but I mean it and I've gotten great feedback and I, I read them myself every single week. And uh, Aisha Torah has been putting it on their website all the time. So um, the world should get this book. How, how will, there must be countless books on adversity, dozens, hundreds, thousands, I don't know, in cultures and religions in different languages, in different places. What will be unique or unusual? What will be your contribution? about adversity that's not out there right now? So, you know, it's a great question. Um, I think there are Jewish texts that do it. I think there are secular texts that do it. I don't know of texts that really merge the two. And what I mean by that is um, one of the really most impactful books I read recently was a book by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin. It's called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And it follows four presidents and it identifies four major events in their life that they came, faced adversity head on came out and emerged even stronger. And I would love to do that with that kind of idea with characters in Tanakh blending the two together. So, you know, whether it's uh, Abraham Lincoln and the adversity that he faced in order to become who he became, but also, again, you have David HaMelech, you have, you have um, Yosef, right? So many great leaders. Now, why, why does adversity speak to you? Would you draw on your own life? I'm asking a very personal question. You could shut me down right now. No, absolutely. Would you draw again, on I'm your not, own life? You know, it's funny. Would you it's be vulnerable? You would, you, would you open yes, up? Would you no, disclose? Absolutely. Um, I once asked Rabbi Dr. Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Lord, doctor, whatever other titles he had. Um, I asked him about seven years ago, I said, do you have any advice for a young rabbi? He said, Rabbi Moskowitz, I want you to speak less from your head and more from your heart. He said, you have to share your heart with people. And that would kind of be the genesis of the book. 
um, I believe strongly. I mean, you know, everyone faces adversity. You know, they say there, there are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. I think adversity is another one of those. Everyone faces adversity. Um, and I think it's the way that we emerge from that adversity that says a lot about us. So obviously, um, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Um, I've been an open book on this podcast. Any of my classes, I'm an open book. And Drushes, I'm an open book. I believe that Hashem gives you circumstances in life so you can share them with other people and so that they can grow from those experiences. And um, yes, obviously my own personal experiences and my own personal struggles in life would be the kind of foundation for any book that I would write about the concept of, adver of adversity. Well, I can't, I, the world uh, should get that book and I can't wait to uh, read it myself. And maybe after our interview, I'll share what, what I answered earlier today. And no, 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 let's hear where, it. Where let's I'm hear it. That, where I'm on that. But for now, it's a great honor and a privilege to be able to welcome... We are honored and privileged to be joined by Dr. Leah Golden, and we are so grateful that you're spending time with us, and we deeply, deeply appreciate it on a topic that we know is painful and raw and uh, is not yet closed, and we can, can't even begin to imagine how difficult it is each time that we talk about your beloved son, Hadar Hashem Yikom Damo, and uh, Oron and the entire episode that happened and your work to bring him home. And so in advance, we thank you for your willingness to be with us and to talk about this uh, difficult, painful topic. Thank you. And good evening. Thank you for hosting me. Absolutely. And it's not our first time. We were privileged and honored to have you in our shul here in Boca Raton. And uh, your son Sur has been to our community and we did an interview with him as well. And uh, we are eager to help you continue to get the word out and to advocate and to stand up and to do all that we can to partner with you for justice that all decent people should be uh, should be working on and should be involved in. August 1st, 2014, we're now almost seven years ago when uh, Hadar was 23 years old during what was supposed to be a UN-US mandated ceasefire against all international law. Um, Hadar, Lieutenant Golden, was abducted and uh, was killed. And uh, since then, you and the whole Jewish world, the Israeli people, decent people everywhere, have not yet been able to, to get his body back, to be able to have a proper burial and for closure, and to be able to mourn and grieve the way that you, the way that you deserve. So before we jump into um, what's happening and why specifically now, what's unique about this moment, maybe if it's not too painful for you, you could just tell us, those who didn't have the privilege of knowing Hadar directly, a little bit about him about his personality, about his life, about what these wicked, wicked terrorists did, what they've robbed the world of by taking his life so young. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Hebrew we say, you know, he had a good eye. You know, when he was born, my, my sister-in-law called him Neshumale, you know, and actually, he was in a shuma, in a shumale, you know. Uh, whatever he was uh, looking at, uh, no matter what was the, the, the issue, he would look for the good thing in, in the person, in the situation. And with his large smile that I keep saying, it was not from the, just from the outside, it was from the inside. It just took us all and, 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 and you know, uh, you can we couldn't resist his smile and of course we all had to to smile with him so this this was this is uh, if i may describe his personality now on top of everything he was very talented very talented um in in his paintings and you can see behind me if you would like to see 
I don't know. Maybe I'll. We could see, yeah. We could see them. You see the one with, with yeah. You see behind yeah, me. Amazing. The colorful one. Beautiful. Uh, and whatever he, uh, he whatever uh, painting he did, he usually gave it as a present to someone. So we don't have many of them at home. Now we put, we have uh, productions. So he left us with a wonderful legacy of painting that we've been uh, displaying in, in exhibition around the, at the UN, uh, in New York, and we will be happy to do it. And uh, even in Miami, actually, we did it. And um, he left us with a wonderful legacy uh, in writings. His favorite was Mesilat uh, Yesharim, you know, the Book of Rights. He wrote his own explanation uh, and I think it took Simcha like three years to to organize it, and so it will be edited like he he did in his handwritings. And currently, people are studying it, either religious or non-religious. It's amazing because he wrote uh, his his um, uh, way of understanding the text on one side. And on the other side, he wrote for himself what he should do in order to be a, per, a better person. So it's it's amazing because that's the way he he lived, you know. And interesting, he he, he didn't sleep a lot, you know. Somehow he had to to catch up, you know. Uh, all that he wanted to do. So this is Adar, and we miss him very much. Every, everything that's been said and written about him, he clearly was an extraordinary, extraordinary young man. Every every young Israeli who serves in the IDF puts their life on the line for the people of Israel, for the state of Israel, for the land of Israel. Um, anything you can share in terms of Hadar's commitment to Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, to his service in the army and the attitude that he brought, and even to any indication he ever gave, as many soldiers do, about the possibility and the risk that they're that they're putting on the line to protect the Jewish people. Look, uh, being Israelis, it's obvious to join the army, you know, it's mandatory to, to, to go to the army. And actually, all, all my family are officers, except me, I'm the chief of staff, but all of them are, 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 are officers. And uh, it was obvious that he will be a fighter. And amazingly, he, he, he finished the officer's course with excellence. Uh, so he could choose what, what the next job. So his next uh, uh, role that he asked for is actually to train the newcomers to, to, to the army, which, which means to do again all this effort of, of we call it Tironu, the basic training. And uh amazing it was amazing to hear his soldiers about uh him being not just a commander but being like a father to them mm. you know while they were uh, doing the guard they had to guard at night they they were not afraid from from nothing except when they heard his running legs jumping uh, they knew he was bringing them a cup of tea mm. Wow. So, so this is Adar, you know, very, very firm and very precise. And 
on every detail, but uh, we full-hearted, full-hearted. And they, he left, I mean, we learned it from his soldiers, all his slogans. When you do something good, think about to do how to do it better. Uh, or uh, you have two options in life, to, to deal with yourself or to do great things. You know, and it sounds so simple and so straight, but amazingly, it, these kind of sentences actually motivate them to do the best they could. And uh, all his team became, uh, 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 they, they became the excellent, how do you say, Mitztayen. Right. Excellent, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And... Um... You know, his murder, his loss is a crime against humanity, obviously devastating for your family. And for almost seven years, you, your whole family have worked tirelessly to bring him home. And you've been fighting right now through this recent escalation in Israel. And I know you called for the ceasefire not happening without the bodies being returned. Um, what's unique about this moment in time? There's been some headlines that there are negotiations about bringing them home. Is there something different or unique in these seven years that presents an opportunity right now? It's, it's unique and special, and, and, and it's not just unique, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, how would they say, it, it's clear, it's clear that, that now it has to be done. And I, I, just go a bit going backwards, Hadar was killed in, in violation of a ceasefire, actually on August 1st, two hours after ceasefire uh, was declared, uh, Hamas violated this ceasefire, uh, killed him, his team, and uh, captured him, abducted him into the underground terror tunnel. Now, uh, it took us uh, like two years uh, when we met Nikki Haley at the UN, and uh, she promised to help us to bring the discussion to the uh, UN Security Council which happened at, by the end of, of uh, 2017, three years, almost three years after the, the incident. And we came along with Professor Erwin Kotler, previous Justice Minister of Canada and well-known um, human, active, uh, human rights human activist. So actually he built the, the legal framing of, of, of Hadar case uh, that is a humanitarian case where the Hamas and the PA as representing the Palestinian families are in a standing violation of the international humanitarian law as long as they do not return Hadar. Now, uh, this framing was very important because a year later, uh, the, the, there was a resolution by the Secure, UN Security Council, uh, number 2474, actually, uh, uh, um, uh, which is a change of attitude. It, it says wherever there is a conflict in the world, when, when the UN members, the good countries, initiates, initiate um, agreements after the conflict, any agreement, ceasefire agreement, um, um, a commercial uh, peace process agreement, whatever, then the, U, the, 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 the UN members that initiate those agreements are responsible to return the missing persons and the remains of the dead as a confidence building step. 
So actually, once this became uh, uh, um, like a, a UN resolution, um, we were invited by um, Guterres, Antony Guterres, the uh, UN Secretary General, who personally uh, promised us that he is going to implement it on Hadar and Oron case, because that at the same time, it was the US uh, peace plan, you know, building mm -hmm. up and the whole region uh, discussing peace agreements. So actually we tried hard, you know, we we went to the White House and uh, to the State Department. We met Jason Greenblatt, you know, uh, David Friedman, Nikki Haley, that it was all clear that now, once the humanitarian law is is with us, you know, we have the the ground to to request uh, the return of Adar as part of any humanitarian support to Gaza. But at that time, it was hard to deliver the message, you know, because we've been warned that if we try to to, to put pressure on Hamas, they will start a war or it will be, uh, you know, um, disease and all kinds of, of, of threats. But now, now we had a war that was imposed on us. We didn't want that war. So now having this war and now the, getting into the process of, 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 of the, the, the agreements, this is the time to rectify the previous ceasefire problem because unless you they do that it means that they institutionalize a new kind a new format of ceasefire where where the hamas is allowed to kidnap and kill our soldier and that's fine hmm. now <laughs> i've been saying this to to american officials for for two years or three years um but now uh we are trying hard with this message first of all with the israelis that we will talk about it later but especially with with american officials because america is now leading this ceasefire process same as they did on 2014 <coughs> and it was the same players by uh, president biden on 2014 was vice president of Obama. John Kerry mm. was there, you know, and and, and the, the, the whole act, the court, it's the same players. It's like the stars are aligned now, you know, and same in Israel. All the personas are the same, same personas. Netanyahu was the prime minister. Uh, Gantz was, was the chief of staff and go on and go on all of them there so so now it's 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 a special opportunity where we discuss ceasefire so we are not going to to do any harm to anything in the world except if adar is part of the humanitarian uh, problem adar and Ron, they should be resolved with within the humanitarian solution but as a confidence building step, meaning not, not to start anything before they return them, same as your president did with North Korea, you know, not meeting the North Korean president before releasing the hostages. Now same discussion goes to the Iranian, okay? 
So actually, America knows how to deal with, with, with hostages. So what we need now, and this is my request to you, to approach your administration to request the return of Adar and Ron as a, um, an American request, if they want to, 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 um, uh, to have credibility on, on what on, on any ceasefire they they uh, they uh, lead you know and what they easily can do is they approach the Egyptian that are the, the current mediators same as they were on 2014 so everything is there we we just need need I'm trying I'm, I'm I've sent a letter to Blinken he kindly responded but you know, that's all I can do. But if you can find a way to get closer to, to the decision maker, so they put they can put our case on the agenda as an American request, which is purely humanitarian. It doesn't cost money. It doesn't have to you don't have to build anything. Uh, so this is the way the way we look at it as a, as a, as a special opportunity and actually a narrow uh, um, a narrow uh, win time, uh, window of time, you know, because it will take two weeks, three weeks, and the, the decision will will be made. Why do you think they're resisting? Why do you think? Why do you think they're resisting? If the if the Americans, it's it's the law, it's international law, it's humanitarian, it's moral, it's obvious. It's the same personalities, the same players. They have the opportunity to fix and rectify what they failed once. Why do you think they're resisting? Why aren't they acting? They don't resist. No one resists, but no one is doing anything. Um, our frustration is that for the last seven years, actually no one requested the return. It's like silencing everything. I mean, we, we've been silenced, you know, saying you should not talk because the price will ra rise, you know, in terms of releasing terrorists, which that's what the, the terrorists want. But now, uh, being after the war, when the Hamas is at the lower, lower stage, you know, and they need us, they need the world, they need everyone, because that's what they know, are used to, uh, that's what they do, you know, they create crisis to their own people and to us, and then request the, the, the help of, of the whole world. So now it's the time to put a request. I mean, not be silent. I mean, silencing is the worst thing that we are evidencing, uh, you know. And it took, it, took, it took me a while to realize that only just before the COVID-19, uh, we've been, we had the Hadar's art exhibition in uh, at the European um, Parliament in Strasbourg, where I met friends of Qatar. As you know, Qatar um, is, is, is providing hundreds of million dollars every month to, to, to Gaza. So I asked this uh, lady from Romania that does not like very much Jews, you know, I said, do you think that for like $10 million uh, Hadar can be back? She said, sure, but no one is asking. Hmm. Wow. Simple wow. as that. Wow. Simple wow. as that. So we need 
we need to ask, to request, the, not allow anyone to silence us on this to issue. To demand, not even yeah. ask, to demand. So you've given what? our... You've given our listeners homework for a second week in a row. Last week, we uh, we asked them to flood Congressman Torres with appreciation. This week, we're asking our listeners to raise their voices to bring Hadar back, which is uh, obviously so important to so many of us. And, and I want to pivot a little bit to a different type of a question, if that's okay. Um, and that's something that I interacted with your other son, Sur, with when he was in America. Uh, Sur came with his unit from the Army to uh, Boca Raton, we hosted them for a week. And the, it was under this incredible program called Peace of Mind, where it interacts with units that saw heavy battle and has discussions about post-traumatic stress, the consequences of war, the emotional toll that it takes on war. And one of the things that I'm struck by every single time is that you have guys who are five, sometimes 10 years out of the battle, and they say, we're fine, we don't need this, it's just a vacation in America. And then a couple of days into the program, they always come up to me and they say, wow, we didn't realize how badly we needed an opportunity to be able to process what we saw and what we experienced and what we went through. Um, as a mother, obviously, who has a unique story in the narrative of, of the state of Israel and whose sons fought so valiantly on the front lines for the state of Israel, do you sense that when boys go into the army and when they come out of the army, they're provided with the support and the services that they need, that they're given the opportunity to process what they saw. What's the impact that it has on families that Americans might not be appreciative of? You know, we see a war starts, a war ends, and then people kind of go back to normal. But obviously for families that went through it in a much more significant and intimate way, the effects um, both for people that made it out and people that did not are much more uh, everlasting. Wow. This is a, a huge question and a very important one because now it's under discussion in Israel. Uh, for years, uh, for years, um, uh, people just ignored the, the effect of trauma, you know, being in the army. Now, um, we we specifically talk about times of war, not 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 uh, you know the the normal. Even so, the or even normal service in the army can create trauma. You know, it's 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 there, but um, <laughs> experiencing war. Uh, uh, what I can tell you, uh, it's a problem. It's a problem. It starts with the youngsters that that reject it ah we are fine as you said and they are not fine and you know we are the mothers are, are first to to know that it's not it's not there now of course the it looks from the outside that everything is fine you know uh, studying or or or, um, or uh, going to work uh, personally uh, the fact that the, uh, the, the, so, the, the, our boys or girls after the army, they go for a year or, or two to, to travel the world, shows that they cannot concentrate. I mean, they, 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 need, they need this experience to, to, to gather, to gather themselves to, to start um, studying. And uh, I can tell you that 
uh, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. So from our point of view uh, of the families, we push, we push hard to get some treatment, to get some treatment. But, um, uh, you know, <laughs> also the other side, you know, there are families that cannot afford it. So it means that they depend on the system, which does not do very well in this uh, in this case because they have all these uh, um, exams, you know, and diagnosis, which is is, is terrible. Um, so the problem is there, and um, and we try how to to find solutions. Uh, talking about ourselves, I, I now back to my. Our uh, case, actually, both of them, Adar and Tzur, um, I, I think I told you, they went together to Gaza on, on Operation Protective Edge. And, and after the war, war, we learned that they were 400 meters apart. Well, now, Hadar was, was um, part of a Givati, an elite unit that had to guard the engineering forces that uh, destroyed the underground tunnel. A terror tunnel while Tsur was commanding um, a rescue force going back and forth to Gaza to rescue IDF soldiers wounded or dead, a lot of his friends. And he also rescued between 40 to 50 Palestinians that were caught between fire because they used them as human shields. And while he was doing this humanitarian thing, the Hamas violated the humanitarian ceasefire, killing his brother and, and, and kidnapped and abducted him to, into the, the tunnel. And, you know, Sur was called to rescue Hadar. He didn't know at that time, but by the time he got to the place, they didn't, did, I mean, they stopped him. They stopped him and, and sent him back to the border. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's next room now, so I'm. Um... So actually, I keep saying that he's still running after his brother, you know. Right. And I can tell you about um, when he was uh, studying and doing his work. Uh, I was quite troubled because I knew he has difficulties in concentrating. Uh, those long night calls, you know, asking me questions. He, he studied the law, law and the history, which I'm a, I'm a software engineer, so I'm not in this subject at all. But then he would call me just to, to talk, you know, just to, to and, and it's difficult. So I'm, I was very happy once they were invited to Miami and we had to push him. Because it's like you said, he said, no, no, we're fine, we're fine. But coming back, they really appreciated what happened. And the whole project is wonderful. It's like a one-year project. Yeah. And it it's an amazing project. And, and I find it ironic just because, you know, when people are in the army, there's so many services, especially from an American perspective. You have FIDF and you have so much support services. And you just don't get that sense that once they leave, there's this bravado, macho attitude in Israel that says, everything's fine. Go back to your regular life. I did it. You did it. Your grandfather did it. You know, everyone's fine. And uh, unfortunately, it's important for people to realize that the effects do linger long after. Yeah. Wow. 
I'm just wondering. Yeah, with yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for whatever you do. It's so important. So uh, it's a tiny. We, we will never, we will not have to do it. But if it happens, if you will have war, then this is, is very important and very special to us. It's the smallest gesture in the world. And uh, obviously to do this for our soldiers who are not only protecting Israel, they're protecting right. Jews everywhere in the world. We know that they would be there for us. It's the least we could do. And we would encourage other communities, if you're listening, peace of mind. Bring peace of mind to your community. It's an expensive proposition, but it's worth every penny to invest in the Jewish people and the people who risk their lives for us. Rabbi Brody. Yeah, we can't wait to bring them back again. God willing, soon. I'm just wondering, with each new election that takes place, and there's been a lot lately, with each new government that is formed or you try to form, is that a reason to be more optimistic? Do you say, okay, with this new government, maybe there's a change, maybe there's something that can happen? Or do you say, well, now we've got to start again from the beginning. We've got to really, really just start from, from the first step. Wow. We are very troubled with all the political situation. Uh, dealing with, with, with Hadar and Doron and soldiers that are apolitical, we, we work hard to push back, you know, all, all, all the every, people that are trying to, to tag us, you know, either we've been left wing and we've been right wing and extreme left and extreme right. So I'm trying to be very, very careful in answering you because our case is not political at all. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic. Um, um, two years, during two years, having, having four time elections is not normal by any criteria, you know? And what is very frustrating to us and Israelis in general is that we are dealing with the same personas, no matter how they call them, how they present themselves, what's the name of the party, or what is their stand. These are the same personas. And you know, when you get disappointed from a persona, that's how it works with me and, and most people. It doesn't matter uh, anymore, and it shows. It shows that the first, the Israeli frustration, right. I, I believe, is shown in the results of, of of the of the elections because there is no decision. Um, we don't know. We don't know. We feel everyone feels in Israel that we need a change. We need a change. It cannot, it cannot, I, you cannot, you know, a wise person said you cannot do the same and expect different results, you know? So there must be a change, you know? Because it cannot continue like, like it is here. Um, and we are very worried. We are very worried because everything is stuck. Everything is stuck. And I can tell you from my family point of view, <laughs> I don't know how, probably, I don't know if I educated my kids right or, or wrong, but they, everyone is doing something for, the, for our society, you know? I, I mean, I'm fighting for the soldiers. Um, my, my, my son, Chemi, uh, the second one, is working with um, foundation of families 
of children, disabled children. So he, he's a lawyer. So he he's fighting for them to get what they they should get against according to the law, but they don't get it because everything is stuck, you know. And my daughter, Ayelet, is working with Shomer Hadash, if you know. Sure, sure. You know, she's a senior manager. And during the COVID-19, uh, she was uh, assigning per day like more than 1,000 volunteers to, to the farmers in the south. Um, so um, what I'm trying to say, what happens... Uh, it, we are still fine because we we have wonderful people that volunteer to help and to assist. But the system, the system is stuck, right. and and um, we don't know. You don't know. It, it there is no right answer to, to it. But uh, we are quite worried, and we don't see the solution yet hmm. hopefully there's a light at the end of this uh, somewhere and there's a, a brighter future so we can break out of this gridlock and uh, leaders will emerge with leadership and courage to take on this cause and others um, Hamas has been quoted as saying that they would entertain a negotiation with a prisoner exchange like in the Gilad Shalit deal and obviously that that was and is very controversial in terms of what the cost or what you pay or what dangers there are by putting terrorists back on the street. And I don't want to put you on the spot if you're not comfortable answering, but you and your family, in terms of if that would be the cost, if that's what it would take to bring Hadar home, are, are you open or would you support Israel in such a negotiation? Look, this is the question that we've been asked for the last seven years. And what this uh, question show is what the Hamas wants, what the terrorist wants. It doesn't show what we want, you know? And the fact that we've been kidnapping our soldiers for the last 30 years, requesting the release of terrorists and the Gilad Shalit case was the worst one, is means that terror wins. This is the situation. Now, we are, we actually, um, uh, we are trying hard since day one and even in Gilad Shalit case, we were oppo you know, opposing this, this solution because it's bad. It's bad if you give in to the to terror. Uh, and and our, our perspective, as to um, uh, articulate it, it's time to flip the equation. Instead of, of, of uh, letting the Hamas uh, uh, requesting a price for releasing uh, our hostages in terms of, of terrorists. It's time that we flip the equation and, and we, Israel, declare the price for the Hamas for holding our soldiers and for not releasing them. So it, be, it will become for them a liability rather than an asset. Now, this is a long range solution because if it turns to a liability, they will think twice because for the next uh, idea of kidnapping a soldier. But while we were talking about, we were just talking logic and 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 in terms of of the right thing to do. But now having the 
the UN Security Council Resolution 2474, it is specifically said that you should not provide them any humanitarian, sub, uh, you should provide humanitarian aid, but you have to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to request the return of the missing persons and uh, the remains of the dead as a confidence building step, which goes on the same, it, it's the same idea. So now we feel much more released, not, not just having these crazy family ideas, but having it as, as the right thing to do. Now, talking about yesterday is, is very frustrating. The 111, it, in Israel it became, it became like a, a slogan. What do you say about the 1111 Hamas request? And, and I'm, 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 I'm furious about it. I mean, even, even tagging it, you know, like in a slogan. Now, first of all, it shows that, that Hamas is in, in a very low situation because they cry out. Probably they are under pressure, definitely. But what I've been told is actually what they speak out is to their own prisoners. They want to calm them, you know? But this is not important. I'm not interested about what the terror says. I mean, in, this, in the same sentence, they also say that they want Jerusalem. So what? Right. So what? It's terror. The question is now, what is our request? And when I say our request, of course, the Israeli is important, Israel is important, but more important currently at that point is the American request. Mm. So that's because a perfect segue. America has leverage, has leverage on, on Egypt, has leverage, we, whichever, whoever have leverage on Hamas, and this is how it can work, work out, be, be done, be, be done. It's a, it's a perfect segue to the last question. We're so grateful for the time you spent with us. We know it's an inconvenient hour and uh, we're grateful it's a topic which is painful, but hopefully we're getting the message and the word out and, and it just takes the right person listening who has access to put pressure in the right place and, and miracles can happen. It's happened throughout Jewish history. It happened in the modern history of the state of Israel. And if you're listening, don't think that you are, you have a license to be indifferent. Don't think that you can ignore. If you feel the plight and the pain of the Golden Family and of all the Jewish people, then you gotta, you gotta put pressure wherever it can be. So in, in closing, um, and again, thank you for all this time. What's the message? What's the homework? You already mentioned that anyone we know, elected officials, anyone with access to the administration, ask them to make the request. It's now on the books. It's international law. It's the law to you, and it's a it's a human rights. It's as simple as they're making the request or making it the condition uh, to humanitarian aid. The precondition to humanitarian aid is doing what the the law governs and the humanitarian. So. Everyone should call their elected officials, should put that pressure. What else, what other message do you have for our audience, what they can be doing, what they should be doing, in addition, of course, to heartfelt prayers? Yeah, this is, I mean, thank you for, for expressing it so nicely. So this is the basic request, but what I learned more during the last, the recent two years, that, you know, talking about countries involves a lot of political, political issues. And maybe, maybe we have other channels to bring at our home or, or put the requests based on other channels. Channels can be, can be uh, uh, business channels, you know, 
lucky us Jews are all over the world, no matter where they live, they do business all over the world. So if, if people can approach the Egyptian president, Assisi, uh, he's the one. I mean, if, if he decided, decides to do it and instruct his people, it will be done. Because he has leverage, and at the end of the day, he will do the delivery. And he, Egypt is the gatekeeper of the Hamas. And now there is, on the other side, there is, are the Qatars, that are the brother, Muslim brothers, uh, and uh, they support also uh, Gaza financially, financially. So on business level or business channels, if there are any of, 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 of the audience that have any, 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 um, not contact or interfaces, to, to, to decision makers in these countries, I believe that if, if that, this request is put under the humanitarian uh, request, it will, be, it will be accepted. It will be positively, um, uh, um, uh, the response will be positive because all those countries, Arabic countries, either Qatar or, or Egypt are looking for getting credit points in matters of human rights, you know? And this is a real human rights issue. I'm fighting for the human rights of our soldiers. And I believe that discussing human, 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 human rights is also already, it's, it's usually based on humans, not on countries, on cases of, 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 of human people, humans. <laughs> so if anyone has any contact, any, any way to, to approach um, those kind of decision makers, I don't know. In Iran, I, I'm at Turkey, I don't know. Whoever has leverage on Hamas, it can be very, very, very helpful. So... Well, we uh, we will continue to fight. Arvuta Dadit, how do you say in English? Yeah, yeah, the mutual responsibility and... Uh... Yeah, it's a Jewish matter. It's a Jewish matter that we we should all share share hands and, and try to resolve it. Amazing. I know that you've been insistent that Hadar Oron not be referred to as deceased, but as missing in action. And I think that that's a very powerful way to portray it. Whatever lengths we would go, whatever we would do, if we saw them as missing in action alive, is the length we need to go to let our young people know that, that we'll, we won't stop until we bring them home, whether they're alive or not. That missing in action is the description. They're being held unjustly against international law, and decent people, Jewish and non-Jewish, pro-Israel or not, should be stepping up and fighting for this basic, basic human rights uh, human rights violation and human rights uh, requirement and need. So we thank you, Dr. Leah Golden. Thank you for being with us. Thank we you. hope and we pray and we will continue to act and we look forward to, please God, welcoming you back to our community or seeing you in the land of Israel after hopefully, please God, we've been able to bring the boys home and you have the closure that you deserve and the mourning that you deserve to be able to experience and to be able to only have simcha with the rest of your family and nachat from your very, very beautiful family. Thank you so much for being with us. Amen. Thank you. And of Okay, we are uh, we are back. Um, so grateful that that she was able to join us, Leah Golden. It's a 
a sad topic, a powerful topic, a painful topic. And, uh, you know, behind the bima, it started out light and funny and an opportunity for us to see people during Corona. Not necessarily see, actually, literally, but you to see us and, and just to, uh, in Rabbi Brody's upcoming book, just to relax together, to chill out together. But this is a, but this is a topic that was important to uh, share and to reflect about. And uh, hopefully, you know, one person listening, you call the right person, the right pressure is put, and, and Hadar and Oron can be brought home. She deserves it. The Golden Family deserves it. We daven in our shul. We have Misha Berach every week, we say. And uh, we continue to daven that uh, our soldiers are safe and that they need to know that if, God forbid, anything ever happens to them, they would be brought back. You know, she didn't say it explicitly. I, I love the image that she said. I don't love, but I'm, I'm persuaded. I find compelling that we got to flip it on its head from an, an asset to a liability. And I'm sure the international community would go crazy, the collective punishment. But why can't we turn the lights off in Gaza and say the electricity doesn't go back on until the bodies are back? Why, why don't we ever play hardball? You know, why don't we why don't we say that the humanitarian, like she said, the prerequisite to the humanitarian aid is humanitarian behavior. So yeah, there's a whole lot that will be brought into Gaza. There's a whole lot that will help rebuild in a just and honest way. But it doesn't begin until the bodies are released. Why, why does the world tolerate? Why does America, why does Europe, why does anyone tolerate that? So we need courageous people to step up and make that difference. You know, amongst her many extraordinary qualities, I always give... Um, her and other mothers like her, such an enormous amount of credit to go through what they went through. We talked a little bit about overcoming adversity and dealing with adversity and managing it. You know, to be able to go through what her family went through and not to cripple under it, to crumble under the weight of it, but to really use it as a platform and to advocate on behalf of, of her son and to be outspoken. And I'm sure each interview and each opportunity is difficult and painful and rehashes so many harsh memories. But she does it. She has that inner strength and resolve and her husband as well. And I know um, Sewer, when he was in our community, spoke so powerfully from the pulpit about it. And um, I think it's uh, it's such an incredible statement about who they are, that they take this opportunity and use it as a platform to, to better the world. Seven years. Seven years is a long time. Day in, day out, waiting, hoping a message, some update. Seven years waiting to, to grieve and mourn properly. But it does make you wonder why it's not more of an issue in the in the Jewish community. In other words, sure, we do say it's filah for him, you know, once a week, but there's no active campaign in any major Jewish community that I know of to, 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 to help this cause. And just imagine if everyone said, you know, this week we're going to do that. And you could say, well, there's going to be so many different causes. It's going to be overwhelming for, for communities. But maybe that's what we should be doing. You get the well, you know what, again, Jewish world to do it. We got great feedback even from Congressman Torres's office last week. It was inundated with messages after we had him on. And uh, I think, was it Vas is Nice, Yeshiva World News, I forgot which one, actually did a whole Vas article nice. and a link, Vas is Nice, and a link to Behind the Bima to promote uh, everybody expressing gratitude to Congressman Torres, as you mentioned, Rabbi Moskowitz. So it's as simple as people listening, watching. If you know someone who's in a position of influence, email them, send them this link. Send them a link to any interview, or just Google Hadar Golden, Leia Golden, and you'll find this. And it's just finding she she referenced this. It's finding the right person, the right time, who has the right contact, and who uses it. It could be a congressman, it could be a senator, it could be a person, a business person who has that leverage. It's just a matter of holding those who are in charge accountable of making that request and of making it happen. You know, it's so funny. I've, I've been thinking as Rabbi Brody, as you were talking, like a theme over the last number of weeks 
whether it was Congressman Torres, whether it was um, you know JNF and the work that they're doing in Chalutza. It's really use your voice and use your resources. Like don't stand on the sidelines. Every one of us knows people. Every one of us has been blessed with certain either oratorical skills or finance, right? We all have abilities and all we're encouraging you to do is wherever your passion lies, whichever interview inspires you and says, that's the cause that I want to get behind, get behind something. If you're our listeners, we don't want you to be passive in this experience. Like get off the sidelines, find something that you're passionate about and say, I'm going to make my difference. And I think whether it was Congressman Torres, whether it was Hadar Golden, whether it was um, Yedidia Harushin Chalutza, where he raised money for a bomb shelter, like every single one of our listeners has the capacity to make a difference. And I think that's such a great lesson from the show. That's a common, yeah, it's a common theme from the show. You go all the way back to Malcolm Holmline, and Malcolm Holmline gave all of us a tutorial in making a difference, gave us his history, his journey towards leading the Conference of Presidents. And, and Malcolm Holmline really gave a tutorial on making that difference. And Ben Brofman and Ben Shapiro, and you, you know, you go through that whole list. It's funny, we've had so many guests. We've been doing this now for so long. What started on a whim, what started for fun. We've had really high-profile guests, and we've learned a lot. We personally have learned a lot. Hopefully, we've but, been able to bring that but learning. But this is the first out. episode, I think, that's been done from a car, Rabbi Brody, while it's dry. I'm getting dizzy. Who's that in the back? Just Which for one the of your daughters in the I'm back? I'm not driving. I'm not I was going to ask driving. I'm the passenger. That's why the car is moving fast. I see how fast it's moving. Yeah, exactly. That's how moving. Driving. Anyone who knows car driving this fast in my life. Anyone who knows Rabbi Brody's personality would never believe that he drives slower than the octogenarians in our community. You, if you knew Rabbi Brody, if you knew that he wants to write a book called "Relax, Chill Out," you'd like if you knew Rabbi Brody's personality, drummer, heavy metal, you'd think Rabbi Brody's like flying around Montoya Circle. I can't drive with Rabbi Brody anywhere. He drives like, I don't even, I can't Simone, describe it because I don't, I don't want to offend right anyone here. else. She would, she would agree with everything you say. She doesn't like driving with me. He's <laughs> so slow. Why, why do you think that is? Where does that come from? What's the rush? Where's everyone going? That's I the relax. That's, relax. that's his book. Yeah, that's relax. what I'm saying. And, and, and everyone, you know what? I'll tell you where everyone's going. Everyone's going, trying to, trying to get somewhere to argue with someone else. Like, relax. You don't even have to do that. Just Maybe that should be down. a tagline. Your book should be called Relax. You'll get there when you get there. You get there when you get. That's my. That's exactly what happens. You get there. Relax, when you get there. relax. Now well, that this does also not- explain Rabbi Brody's sense of time, right? Rabbi Brody, would be like, I'm there in two minutes, and then like 45 minutes later. But I guess when you drive at the pace that you drive, two minutes becomes 45 minutes. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. She's nodding as well again. <laughs> that's true. Rabbi Brody, who drives faster, you or your mother? That would actually be a great race around the circle. <laughs> see who comes in first there are people in our community with their walker who would get there before you do the way you drive no their shabbos scooter their shabbos scooter the shabbos scooter i could see that i could see that (laughs) well um we have uh, an announcement we are going to be taking a a small break this summer from behind the bima but we will not leave you without anything to watch or listen to because it's being worked on already right now a best of episode or a couple episodes that are best of to take the many, many, many people we've interviewed, take the best five-minute in- clip from each of those interviews, and to create some best-of episodes that people can watch, catch up. Maybe you're a latecomer to Behind the Bima, and you only joined more recently. I'll tell you, I would want to watch that, not because I have any well, wisdom. Well, we've interviewed let me ask great you, people. Let me ask you a question. You know, as you referenced a little bit earlier, this started as kind of like a little joke, and we want to interact with our members and connect with them better. What's, what to you, Rabbi Goldberg, has been the biggest surprise of Behind the Bima, right? We're... we're we're a year plus in. It's become a mainstay in our homes. Wednesday nights, 9 p.m., our kids know, like, whatever's happening. 
daddy's shutting down. The internet's got to free up because you need all the Wi-Fi you can get. What's right. been the biggest surprise a year plus into this venture? That anybody's watching or listening. <laughs> it's an enormous surprise. We meet people. They're like, I love Behind the Beamer. Um I'll tell you the truth. If you had an hour and you could listen to Behind the Bima or my Parsha class or Behind the Bima or my Moskowitz's Tehillim class, listen to our Torah. We want to be known by our Torah. We want to share Torah. You know, you can't say a Birchas Torah on Behind the Bima as much as we enjoy it and hopefully it shares some wisdom and entertainment, inspiration, access to some people. But we're most proud of the Torah that we teach, that we share, that we learn. And if somebody came up to me and they said, I have an hour a day or a week to listen to a podcast, what should it be? In a heartbeat, I would recommend other people's Torah or, or Shiram that we're giving before it would be behind the Bima. But, you know, it's an honor and a privilege that people bring us into their homes and their lives, that they watch and uh, that they listen. And again, I, don't, I, I, I think that hopefully our banter, our friendship, I'll tell you what's a big surprise is how I'm constantly surprised, startled, shocked when people say, wow, you rabbis really get along. Like the three of you, and not just the three of us. I think the most popular, if not one of the top three or five most popular episodes of Behind the Bima, when we had on all of our colleagues, we had all the rabbis of BRS and their wives, the rabbis and Rebitsons. We did a three and a half hour marathon that only ended because of somebody's bladder. And how it has an enormous amount of people who watch that. And, and everyone afterwards is like, what? You guys really like each other. You really get along. And I'm like, yeah. Why is that so surprising? So that surprises me how surprising that is to other people. But you know, as long as people want to tune in and as long as we can access and share the wisdom of others, really great people. One of the things we're considering, even though we have many more people scheduled, we have a list of, of, of wonderful people, prominent people, wise people, inspirational people, a great list. I don't, I don't want to tease it out right now, but some really phenomenal people. But there are people that we already interviewed and maybe we bring them back. Maybe it's time to go to round two. It's not unusual. A lot of podcasts, a lot of interview shows. They bring back repeat guests who have a lot to share. We always leave you wanting more. Somebody once criticized me. Why are the interviews so short? The interview should be the whole show. The interview should be an hour and a half. I said, got to leave them wanting more. So maybe it's time to bring back some of those guests. Who would you, if you're still watching, you want to write in the comments or you want to let us know if you're listening later, who from, from the long list of people that we've had, who would you want to bring back? Who do you want to continue that conversation? What questions are still unanswered? The moms. Moms. The moms. Just bring back the bring the mother-in-laws. That's been also. No, been I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It'd be a great episode. The sisters. Bring back our bring our sisters. Yeah. Because they, they they the moms would be the moms were nice and generous and they're like compliments of us. The siblings give it to us straight. No, I think that'd be a what? great episode. My sister on this show. Would shock everyone. You have no idea. Does your sister even know about the show? Does she? Even, sister, has she heard I don't of it? Think my sister has internet. <laughs> she hasn't heard you of the show find, yet. You, you will see such a such a sibling, uh, uh, you know, dynamic. You've never seen this before. We what should, about our kids? Siblings. Episode. What about children? Rabbi's children episode. Mm. I don't know if my kids are there yet. There's still a lot on the young Moshe? side. Moshe? No, Moshe's got it. Moshe, <laughs> Moshe doesn't know enough to be filtered. That, that's what I'm more worried about. Yeah, we could do. We could do uh, Rabbi's Children. Maybe let them host it. They could run a whole show. That, that's what Find I'm surprised about. I had a meeting children. with a guy this week, actually. I told you guys about this. Um, guy comes to meet with me, and about two minutes into the interview, he's into the meeting, he says, you know, Rabbi Moskos, I have to stop you. He says, I know so much about you. 
He said, maybe you should know. He said, I feel it's like an unbalanced relationship right now. I listen to you every Wednesday night. I'm in your home every Wednesday night. I know about you. I know about your life. I know about everything that goes on. He goes, you don't know anything about me. Let's balance that relationship a little bit more. Let me tell you a little bit about me. And then I referenced something. He goes, yeah, I, I know. He's like, you spoke about it on the Hanabima, shared it with thousands of people. I know about that. So, you know, one of the things that he was reflecting to me upon was I don't think many people have a relationship with um, a rabbi necessarily where they see like the normal human side of that rabbi. You know, we call it the banter, but it's really like what we, behind the bima, right? It's things that you don't ordinarily see the side of a rabbi with. You don't ordinarily see the rabbis talking about the anxiety of counting sphera, like things like that. I'm surprised by how much that resonates with Balabatim outside of our community who are just enthralled by that, by seeing the behind the scenes of the rabbinate. You know what we didn't get? That, that's a great point. You know what we didn't get to tonight? Maybe we'll start next week's episode because it's already late. Let's call it a night. Um, we didn't talk about the rabbinic vacations that are coming up after two years. Last mm. summer, we didn't take a vacation. And we were going to talk about Rabbi Brody turning off all notifications, his ability to disconnect and maybe share some of that with us. And talk about, you know, if people want the behind the scenes, behind the beam about rabbis on vacation, what's it like? Where do we go? Why do we need it? What are, what are we worried about? Do we worry about taking do, off of our Do you like being stopped, Rabbi Gober? You're going to be in a certain geographic location this summer. Someone's behind the beam, a fan sees you. Do you want them to come over or are you like, I'm on vacation this summer? First of all, I love all people. I love learning. I love meeting people, learning about people, connecting with people. It's awkward when someone, it's flattering. It's amazing when people say nice things. I, it's still very uncomfortable. Um, the only part of it I like about it is when my wife or kids are there and I'm like, you see, there are people who listen to my classes, read my articles. Like, it's nice. It's nice for them. I want, if they can get, I have tremendous nachas from them. If they can get nachas from me, I'm happy to provide that. I love meeting people. Like if we could have a conversation, oh, I heard the shir. What do you think about this? I want to tell you my interpretation. I have that question. You mentioned this is mine. I also went there. I love to have a conversation. You know, the part that, um, that that's, if someone offers Flattery, it's, it's very flattering. It's humbling. It's sweet. I appreciate it. But that's the part that's still uncomfortable. I don't know. I'm carrying around a Sharpie pen this summer. If anyone wants autographs, <laughs> just let me know. I, I'd be happy to autograph anything. <laughs> You're available. You, you, this summer, maybe you'll be back in time for this summer. This oh, Simone's <laughs> driving, so you'll be back in time. If you were driving, I'd be nervous about your being back for Shabbos. Yeah, where was where was graduation tonight? It was actually a place that you you might have heard of. It's called the Trump Doral. I don't know if, if you might have. I know someone. I know someone who made a wedding there this week, but the right. wedding invitation said the the National Doral or the Doral Hotel. Like there right. are people now who are leaving out part of the name of the establishment. That's where but we're it was at. Funny. It's funny as we're leaving, so we see you know it's our third daughter graduating high school. So a bunch of people saying, "Oh, it's finally we're done. You know, everyone's off. No more, no more tuition." You're like I'm only halfway oh, through. I, what do you mean? I, I got a kindergarten graduation tomorrow morning. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, you're a blessed man. All those who want to be blessed should be blessed to be able to have those graduations Amen. and so on. But I, I want to tell you what the best is. Well, hopefully, we're going to make it. It's at nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> I told you because Simone's driving, you'll make it. But it's worth it. It's it's it's. It's to get to those grandchildren. It's worth it. It's the best. You play with them during the day, and you get to sleep at night. It's, it's the best. It's the best. Everybody should be zoch. Everybody should merit and be blessed to know what that is and to experience that to be get to, to get there. Amen. So it's great. 
All right, gentlemen, another uh, important episode, important conversation. We've had some heavy episodes, and we appreciate the audience who sticks with us and cares about these topics and wants to work on it, advocate, wants to express that that voice of make that difference and and make that change. So thank you for sticking with us. We're going to have maybe a little bit lighter, more inspirational or different inspirational next week. Um, So keep, keep joining us. And until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Thank you for listening to Behind the Bima. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week for another peek behind the Bima.